You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts and a pinch of humor. It's Wednesday, June 1st. 2022. This is episode number 292. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about some Democratic operatives changing the Cannabis Party name to siphon off GOP votes, Dr. Oz making the Pennsylvania Senate race about cannabis, weed-infused fine dining, Sacramento Core Alliance gets nearly a half a million dollars for expungement, Big Bad Tobacco's environmental impact, cannabis research taking off, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Rico, I cannot wait for your story. Oh, yes. Mine's coming from... MJ Moment and Kyle Yeager. Minnesota Democratic operatives accused of plotting to change marijuana party name to MAGA party to siphon GOP votes. According to this article from MJ Moment, an alleged attempt by Minnesota Democratic officials to change the name of a third party focused on cannabis meant to appeal to far-right conservatives has left their entire party scrambling. Some advocates say that the maneuver is clearly a corruption corruption in its purest form. Others say it's necessary effort to restore Minnesota's democracy. I say they're all liars in bed with corporate America, and it's time to take the National Cannabis Party's effort seriously, stop listening to mainstream talking heads, and start controlling our own narrative by way of the state of cannabis news hour. This is why we exist, because of shit like this. I leaked audio recording surfaced late last week with Minnesota House Majority Leader Ryan Winkler's DFL Chief of Staff Paul Cummings 
Representative Aisha Gomez's and Senator Aaron Murphy's campaign managers as well on tape conspiring to influence the November election outcome. Here we go. Sure. The event, um, the agenda can be as simple as call to um, set an agenda, set the convention for, set a convention chair, set the agenda, call for the name change, order, uh, name a convention chair, uh, do the uh, vote on the um, party name change, and then um, set the time for the next uh, constitutional convention and adjourn. And, and, I the time, and, I'm and I, for the um, time of convention, it can just you know somebody can just name what it is and then or, and where and when it is and then just uh, move on. I, I I was almost thinking you could say uh, for a time certain between Wednesday, November, whatever election day, and January thirty first, two thousand twenty. So you, you've got a few, you've got some space, but for a time that we got so they can't come out there. It's been unfair. We don't give a shit. We gotta get this done. We gotta do it now, or we're gonna lose seven percent. We're gonna lose walls. We don't do this shit, and we gotta do it. We gotta do it now. And being nice is nice. Fuck that. Let's just do it. That's all I feel. And it's legal. It's completely freaking. I'm sorry. I maybe that's rude of me, but cooping. So they can't. Okay, let's let's just break down this collusion. The idea was to create a fake pro-cannabis Trump-affiliated third party to support on ballot as an alternative to traditional Republicans. The move would have helped Democrats in charge, deathly afraid of uh, afraid one of the two official cannabis named parties, uh, cannabis affiliated parties, will continue siphoning votes from the Democratic former uh, farmer labor party, the DFL, as they have in past elections. However, the attempt did not go forward as planned. They needed delegates at a scheduled convention to vote on a proposed name change. MJ Moment's sources say that grassroots legalized cannabis party, GLC, was to be changed to the MAGA party. Though the MAGA party name wasn't explicitly referred to in the recording, the rest pretty much speaks for itself. Winkler's led the charge getting legalization enacted in Minnesota. It passed the full house last year, but reform efforts were blocked by GOP-controlled Senate. MJ Moment spoke with the leader's chief of staff Monday, where he replied three times with no comment when asked to confirm if he was involved. Cummings responded by text on Tuesday after the story was first published late last night, uh, saying while he stands by his no comment statement overall, he did not say the quotes from the audio about the fairness and perceived political necessity of the move. Minnesota election law lets parties claim major party status with at least 5% of the vote. But GLC and a separate legal marijuana now party did just that in 2018 when a, uh, with the, when a state auditor candidate for the latter and an attorney general candidate uh, for the former achieved the perceived unachievable. <laughs> so rather than incorporate issues the people of Minnesota actually care about, they want to do some fuck shit like this to force us yet again to vote for their losing asses. I know Jason Beck does not seem to think the cannabis caucus really carries enough weight to be recognized as the thing yet. Well, the corrupt two-party system, America's unique brand of democracy has scammed us into believing is a thing, begs to differ. Hopefully the story that we covered last week on Orange County, California's issues, in addition to today's exposed Minnesota shenanigans, will make everyone think twice about affiliating with either side. In the broad scale of things, two things in the world matter to them, money and real estate. 
and taking all of our money and our real estate. Neither the Democrats or Republicans have anything good going for them. And as Rome burns around us all, they'll use mainstream media to bait us all into thinking either side has the best path forward to address the issues that matter most to us, or they'll claim the other side is the worst and diametrically opposed to all that we hold sacred. Blue, red don't matter. They're all liars coming for our green. Burn it all down. This is why we cannot succumb to incremental change and safe banking is a crock of shit. If you want to benefit from the system, get inside of it and change it and make sure that your issues are heard on the next election ballot. Go out and vote. This is Rico Lamite, dopest dad on the street. State of Cannabis News Hour. Love to hear from the rest of the team. What say you, Susan, on this Wednesday spice? Run for something. We need people like Gee running for office, Roz. You guys run for something. Come on, Red Man. We want to be on your team. I mean, this this story to me is just nothing but comical. And the fact that they would try to think that they're going to siphon votes by calling it the mega marijuana party from Republicans to me is just totally freaking ridiculous. It's like almost as smart as when Joe Biden called Trump the MAGA king. It's ridiculous. Yeah, because Republicans would never fall for anything. No, that we, I mean, they we don't make jokes. We, 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 make, we make jokes and political memes and are the best at jokes and political memes. And all this does is feed into that machine. Well, it's, I, th- I think it's a poor attempt by the Democrats to do the same shit that the Republicans have been doing. Republicans are just better at doing this the, shit. The Democrats. <laughs> and the, they don't get caught till years later. Craziest political blunders in as far as social media gifts that, that the world has ever seen. They're all trash. They're all trash. We've got a lot of news. Let's keep smoking. When it comes to that, I'm always going to say Democrats do it better. That's the one time you guys will hear me say that. But they do what better? What do they do better? They make they make content better. They make they make for better content for trolling. Is what they do better. Okay. Uh, It is true. Political strategist by day, baker by night. A true female multitasker (laughs) who can not only bake up how to make the sausage on Capitol Hill. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider taking off the apron. It's Gretchen Gale. Uh, I'm out here at CWCB, but my headline is from Pennsylvania, uh, and it's coming from Forbes. Is Dr. Oz going to make the Pennsylvania Senate race about marijuana? Uh, though it's still unclear whether celebrity television doctor Mehmet Oz or former hedge fund CEO David McCormick will be the Republican nominee in this fall's U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania. In the ongoing recount, Oz held onto a lead of less than 1,000 votes as of yesterday. Just a few days after the primary, the Donald Trump endorsed Oz tried to stake out a position that might separate him from his presumptive opponent, John Fetterman, uh, the state's Democratic lieutenant governor. If Fetterman supports legalizing marijuana, and he definitely does, that's something Oz opposes. Uh, and that's what he told Newsmax's Greg Kelly. He said, you know, there are not enough Pennsylvanians to work in Pennsylvania, so giving them pot so they stay home is not, I don't think, an ideal move, said Oz, who had added the marijuana may be a hindrance to giving Pennsylvanians back their mojo. Uh, Oz's campaign did not respond to requests for comment, but taking the merits of his statement aside as political strategy, choosing to draw a line at marijuana legalization is questionable. 
According to some observers, using cannabis as a culture war wedge issue, something Trump never did in a state where Republican lawmakers are backing legalization and where polling has reve revealed up to 60% support for legalizing among voters in an unforced error, it may also turn out to be a giant gift to Fetterman, a longtime legalization advocate whom Politico described as maybe the nation's most outspoken pro-weed politician. Chris Goldstein from Normal said, Oz is definitely trying to differentiate himself in the election, and I think it shows how out of touch he is with Pennsylvania voters. His statement thus far is not going to win over a majority of Republican voters. That's going to turn them right to Fetterman. Uh, while I agree with Goldstein, I don't think this is going to endear Oz to anyone. I don't think uh, Republicans are going to run to Fetterman because of it. Uh, I think uh, folks are going to dump Oz for many other reasons because they don't like his carpetbagger ass. Uh, but that's just how it is in Pennsylvania. I think it's stupid that he's even taking this up as an issue. Um, and clearly he must feel the same way since he has refused to comment on his stupid comments about unemployment since. Uh, this is Gretchen for State of Canvas News Hour. The stigma that pot makes you unproductive is so ridiculous. I and mean, we, we could cite example after example. Pot does not make you lazy and unproductive. It's not affecting unemployment. It's so dumb. He's got to stop saying that. That's his talking points for now. Just let him evolve on the issue. It's a dumb talking point. Not <laughs> I'm not saying it's thinking. not. It's an even stupider talking point. He has had some dumb ones. Um, I, I really don't think you can be this stupid leading up to an election. I'm sorry, Jason. While I agree that you... Look at all the you know, kind politicians of direction out there. I don't think it's going to help his ass at all when it comes to the actual general. Pennsylvanians are not stupid, and they don't like Dr. Oz. He's a clown. And it's going to get the young ones to come out and vote. What is uh, Jason, what is uh, Trump's uh, record now with uh, all of his endorsements? Zero, zero, zero. He's doing nothing but winning, bro. Nothing but winning. Swing and a miss. Even when, he's, even when he loses, he wins. Swing and a miss. Swing no and a miss. Blue. Stay winning. <laughs> Four D. Mighty Casey has struck out again. That's how it looks like to you guys, but it was really a grand slam because you guys don't know how to count. Oh, good lord! Sounds like he's playing that metaverse baseball. We just don't understand it yet. Uh, do we have alter alternative math now? We don't know how to alternative count. baseball is what it is. A win is not really a oh, win. Boy. A loss is not really a loss. It's fake. His house is not a home. His wife's not on the cover of Vogue. Oh, sorry. I would say time to move on. Next story. <laughs> you are fake news. <laughs> Let's do it. The industry's longest continuously operating retailer has packed his bags, gassed up the private jet with subsidized jet fuel, allegedly not from Russia, and has touched down in the socialist paradise that is the United Kingdom. Just to teach them a thing or two about smoking the best weed in the world. Jason Beck, what you got for us today? Across uh, the pond. You, thank you so much, Rico. Yes, you are 100% right. But the one thing you are totally wrong on is that London is not a communist country. London is a full capitalist market. And this Socialist, is where not communist. currency Socialist. was. Currency, same thing. Communist, socialist, is the same thing. But this is where the bag was created. And when you say secure the bag, you must come to across the pond to London to secure the bag. But nonetheless, my story is going to take us back to America, where in South Dakota, a vote on legalizing pot with a twist. South Dakota voters will decide later this year whether to become the 20th state in the nation to legalize marijuana for adult use after supporters filed thousands of signatures with state elections officials earlier this month. 
But five months before Election Day, it's not clear exactly what share of the vote supporters must rally on in order to win approval. That's because those are the same voters who head to the polls next week in a primary election that could rewrite the rules just ahead of November's vote. On Tuesday, voters will decide whether to approve Amendment C, a proposed change to the state's constitution that would require most ballot measures to win 60 percent of the vote in order to pass rather than a simple majority. Amendment C passed by the legislature this year would single out ballot measures that raise taxes and fees or require spending more than 10 million over five fiscal years, a low threshold that would likely include most measures on which voters get to decide. Legislators who supported the amendment say it will bring the state's ballot initiative process into in line with existing rules that govern the legislature, which needs a two thirds majority to approve any tax or any fee increase. This will make it harder for outside special interest groups to raise our fees and taxes using ballot measures, said state's uh, representative Tim Goodwin, Republican. One of the amendment's prime sponsors told The Hill in an email, thus making it harder to grow government through ballot measures. The proposed amendment would put a South Dakota among the small handful of states that require certain initiatives to reach a threshold greater than 50 percent plus in order to pass. Florida requires a two-thirds vote to approve constitutional amendments that create new taxes and fees. Washington state requires a 60% threshold for valid measures related to gambling. And Utah requires a two-thirds vote to approve measures related to hunting. In South Dakota, supporters of legal marijuana tuned in more than 250,000 valid signatures to qualify for November's ballot, well above the 16,691 signatures required under state law. Secretary of State Steve Barnett, Republican, said on Friday, but because of the legal marijuana initiative would create new taxes on a product like it seeks to legalize and regulate, it would be among the initiatives that must meet a higher threshold for passage under Amendment C. Amendment C is a disgraceful sneak attack on the constitutional ballot initiative rights of the people of South Dakota. Placing this type of constitutional amendment on a primary ballot is completely indefensible, (laughs) said Matthew Sienwich, who runs South Dakotans for better marijuana laws. The pro-legalization campaign, the political establishment is trying to mislead voters by telling them that Amendment C is about taxes. It's not about taxes. It's about politicians trying to control the voice of the people. Legalization supporters have justifiable cause for concern. This is the second time South, South Dakota voters have voted on an initiative to legalize cannabis. And the last time they did so in 2020, it passed with 54 percent of the vote short of the 60 percent threshold. The ballot measure was struck down by the state Supreme Court after a challenge spearheaded by the superintendent of the South Dakota Highway Patrol, a top ally of Governor Christy Noem, who is a prohibitionist. Uh, this time, supporters say they have corrected the technical glitch that the court has cited in striking down that last measure in a statement issued. When they turned in the signatures, Stenovich said the legal wrangling had strengthened an argument for legalization. Um, Substantial number of people who signed our petitions did so primarily because they believe the ballot initiative process must be respected by politicians, he said. This petition uh, drive was bigger than just cannabis. It was an opportunity to restore the will of the people. If South Dakota voters vote to approve a measure in November, they would become only the third Midwestern state to legalize adult use cannabis after Illinois and Michigan. And last week, Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee, Democrat, signed a bill making his state the 19th in the nation to legalize adult use cannabis. Delaware Governor John Carney, a Democrat, voted vetoed a measure uh, passed in his state through legislators um, are mustering the votes for a historic attempt to override that in a veto. What I have for you today from the Lunny london side of the pond jason can you see the picture of the weed now i can it looks like some fucking booth 
<laughs> looks like they cross cannabis with cattails. It's uh, they need to buy California bud. It really in more, South yeah, Dakota. It more looks like um, bad outdoor hemp. Jason, is that how you pronounce that uh, governor's name, Noem? Is that how she says it? Um, that's how I say it, Noem. Chris, Christy Noem? Yeah, like a gnome. Yeah, no, like n- a gnome. Like, like, like no majority for no marijuana? Is that right? Noem? Or no at all. Totalitarian. No, Totalitarian. I, I'll tell you one thing. I do not want to be twisting up that North or, that, or South Dakota weed that I see in that picture. Ever. Ever. No, sir, but let's keep on smoking this news. Here we go. Are you ready? Manika Mahajan coming next to the stage is a pot-loving PhD and champion of common sense policy, a real-life alternative activist remaining optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos. Coming next to the stage, it's Manika Mahajan. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Jason. Today I'm talking about research and a study about studies. My story comes from Filter Mag and is by Kyle Yeager, who's getting, uh, getting some good stories today on our show. The volume of research about cannabis has grown steeply over the past couple of decades as more American states and countries around the world have taken steps away from prohibition. A new study published last week in the Journal of Cannabis Research provides an in-depth breakdown of the expansion of scientific literature on cannabis, even though the United States federal policy has severely encumbered scientists from obtaining and studying the plant. The researchers identified nearly 30,000 cannabis-related studies published in 5,474 journals from 1829 to 2021. The authors wrote, quote, since the 1960s, an upward trend with respect to the volume of publications can be observed with 2020 marking the year with the most publications. The journals that have the mo- have most frequently hosted cannabis research studies are drug and alcohol dependence with 706 papers, uh-oh, addictive behaviors with 419 papers, again, uh-oh, and the British Journal of Pharmacology with 356 papers. Perhaps unsurprisingly, given the strong interest in the therapeutic potential of cannabis, medicine was the most common term associated with research objectives. The researchers said that the recent spike in cannabis studies can be attributed to a large amount of funding dedicated to researching this topic. Between uh, between 2000 and 2018, the researchers said that more than $1.5 billion in funding was dedicated to cannabis research. And this is a bibliometric study for a quick little refresher on research methods. Bibliometric studies look at large amounts of data using quantitative analysis to describe large scope trends. It's also interesting for for its broader scope. While past bibliometric studies on cannabis research have been limited to specific cannabinoids and areas of scientific research, scientific interest. Since the 1980s, they also observed an increase in the volume of open access publications, with the 2010s marking the decade with the highest percentage of open access versus subscription publications, which is good news for those who don't have those subscriptions. More people can access this. The the number of studies on that was 6,745. Despite challenges from federal prohibition, the fact that scientists were able to identify so many studies also undermines a common refrain from prohibitionists that we need more research before moving forward with reform or legalization. According to Jaeger, the US and other countries have effectively studied the risks and benefits of cannabis in multiple scientific areas. That's not to say there's consensus on health or policy, but the narrative that not enough research has been done is false. Unfortunately, while in a sense it's good news that so much research has been done, the researchers also found that more cannabis research has, has focused on the harms associated with the substance as opposed to its medical uses, especially in the USA. 
The bias may be due to framing, considering that NIDA, which stands for the National Institute on Drug Abuse, and is a significant funding source, looks for harms and not benefits. Nearly half of the 30 journals that have published the largest number of cannabis studies contain harm-associated words in their titles, such as dependence, addictive, addiction, forensic, drug, and abuse. Some of this may be shifting, and NIDA recently renewed its push to promote federally funded research as more states enact reform. And they're kind of looking at it differently or encouraging researchers to look at some different angles besides the abuse. They're specifically expressing interest in studies on differing cannabis regulatory models in place across the country. But even the head of NIDA, Nora Volko, says that she's personally reluctant to go through the onerous process of getting approval to study Schedule 1 drugs like cannabis. And while with the FDA's approval of additional sources uh, for research cannabis, advocates hope that the diversity and quality of cannabis available for research will increase. The DEA has also increased annual production quotas as demand from the research community has, has increased. And finally, President Biden signed a massive infrastructure bill last year, which will allow researchers to study the actual cannabis that consumers are purchasing from state legal dispensaries instead of having to use the government-grown booth which is criticized for more closely resembling hemp than the cannabis available in commercial state markets, potentially skewing research findings. So what's clear from the increase in studies is a a sign of growing interest or concern, depending on the researcher's perspective, and the challenge for advocates and scientists who have not been brainwashed by by all of the negative negative framing of of this medicine is to tip the scales from harm-focused fo- research to benefits-focused research. My name is Menika Mahajan, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Speaking of studies, uh, the Florida Gulf Coast University, <clears throat> the relief app, and CannaMD is doing a study in Florida. So if you're in Florida, it's, on, uh, it's a peer-reviewed study about the... Uh, treating anxiety with cannabis. If you want, if you live in Florida and you want to participate in the study, hit me up in the back channel and I will give you the link. It's a great story, Menica, and I wish we had more time to comment even more, uh, even further on it, but we've got to keep this research moving forward and, and make sure you guys are checking your sources as well because it's going to be a, a, a slew of new stuff coming out and none of it's going to be approved by the FDA, but who cares about the FDA anyways? Up next... This amazing storyteller's got a smoother delivery than a UPS guy on Healy's. All about truth, justice, and getting good news stories to the people, this communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report has exited the nearest smoke-filled phone booth and landed on stage with some hump day heat. Up next, Christopher Smith. What you got for us, my man? (laughs) Rico, thank you so much for that great introduction. Uh, I am in New York City also, so I'm going to do a a little bit like you and just read my news from, from on the road. Uh, my, my news story today is from Barron's. Uh, big tobacco's environmental impact is devastating from the World Health Organization. So cannabis is getting kicked around a lot for its environmental impact, especially from indoor growing and even from the, the non-theory of secondhand smoke from bong hits. But man, we are on training wheels compared to big tobacco. 
Big Tobacco, the world is a big, fat, stinking ashtray, and it's all your fault. But don't take my word for it. This comes from the World Health Organization. On Tuesday, the World Health Organization accused the industry of causing widespread deforestation, diverting badly needed land and water in poor countries away from food production, spewing out plastic and chemical waste, as well as emitting millions of tons of carbon dioxide. Rudiger Kreck, WHO Director of Health and Promo- Health Promotion, slammed the industry as one of the biggest polluters that we know of. And I say this with all the love that's deserved by an industry that knowingly makes products that kills 480,000 Americans each year and more than 8 million worldwide every year. Or as the CDC says, tobacco use is the leading preventable cause of death in the United States. But, oh, sorry, I got sidetracked by the Center of Disease Control data, which is really narrow-minded compared to the World Health Organization. I mean... CDC focuses on the hundreds of thousands of Americans that die a slow, agonizing, asphyxiating death due to tobacco. The National Institute for Drug Abuse says that cigarette smoking harms nearly every organ in the body. But all that is small potatoes, folks. Killing a few people is nothing compared to killing the planet. For example, the loss of some 600 million trees each year contributing to about 5% of global deforestation. That's the tobacco industry. The use of 200,000 hectares of land, mostly in third world countries, for an export product that could be used to grow food for local people. 22 billion tons of water annually. The emission of 84 million tons of carbon dioxide. That's about a fifth as much as the entire transportation industry. And a quarter of all tobacco farmers contract so-called green tobacco sickness or poisoning from the nicotine they absorb through their skin, including the kids who work in third world countries on the farms. Farmers who handle tobacco leaves all day consume the equivalent of 50 cigarettes worth of nicotine every day. And this will really gross you out. Each one of the estimated 4.5 trillion cigarette butts that ends up in our oceans, rivers, and sidewalks and beaches every year can pollute 100 liters of water. And the WHO is actually trying to get these banned as a single-use plastic. So all this pollution costs money to clean up. The tobacco industry is making us, the taxpayers, pay for the cleanup. Each year, China pays for $2.6 billion for a cleanup of tobacco products. India pays $776 million. And Brazil and Germany each pay about $200 million. And the WHO insists that more countries should follow the so-called polluter pays principle, as in France and Spain. That means the tobacco industry should pay for their own shit. But the real threat to us in our industry is big tobacco is coming to get us. Here's more evidence on May 13th, cigarette maker 22nd Century Group announced it's acquiring GVB Biopharma. Now, you may not heard of GVB, but they supplied their CBD to Cookies, New Leaf, and Canaxis Pharma and others. And as a spokesperson from 21st century, 22nd Century said, it's upping its bet on the potential of, uh, to, of legalization of cannabis. If that occurs, then the company can situate themselves as a major player in the hemp and cannabis markets, which I believe will be far larger than the market for low nicotine tobacco products. So here they come, and they're dirty as hell, and I'm done speaking. Thank you for that story, Christopher. You you told me a lot of things that I didn't know. That is so terrible. Stop being a butthead, big tobacco. Tobacco's done. Long live tobacco. Is it? Is it done? 
Long live tobacco. It's never done. They're going to be taking over the cannabis industry along with big alcohol and uh, big pharma and the Republicans. Welcome <laughs> to 2022. It's way past half an hour. I'm going to relight this room. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Coming up next to the stage, this OG veteran and dope dads known and respected by peers as a steadfast defender of the culture, always first to stand up for the rights of legacy operators. The co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley is coming next to the stage. Take a listen to the gospel of the record. Thank you, Jason. Good morning, Rico. Good morning, Susan. Uh, today, my article is coming out of the Sacramento Bee. Sacramento's, Sacramentans could get help clearing their cr criminal records courtesy of the weed industry. Hundreds of Sacramentans looking to clear their criminal records so that they can find better employment prospects are able to get a little help from the marijuana industry. The California Community Reinvestment Grant Program, which receives funding from the Cannabis Cultivation and Excise Tax, announced a $450,000 grant to the United Core Alliance to support the organization's criminal record ex expungement clinics. It is one of 78 grants totaling 35.5 million awarded to organizations across the state over the last four years. The program has distributed 126 grants totaling 57 million, including 5.9 million to groups in the Sacramento area. We see that the war on drugs has disproportionately impacted certain communities, said Assistant Deputy Director Fiona Lavelle, excluding, explaining the program's purpose. She specifically mentioned Black, Hispanic, and low-income communities. While Rudman, a spokesman for the Governor's Office of Business and Economic Affairs, GoBiz, which oversees the grant program, said in an email that even though Black and Hispanic and white people use, use and sell marijuana at the similar rates, Black and Hispanic people have historically been arrested more frequently for violations. The overall vision of the Cal CRG program is to really be a resource to address multi-generational multi impacts on the war on drugs, Lavelle said. Khalil, Khalil Ferguson, the president of United Core Alliance, a two-year-old nonprofit, said that the grant represents recognition by the state for its work. Our attorney reminds us all the time, you're moving along very well. Your structure is very solid, he said. Ferguson said that the, great, the state will help fund 500 expungement efforts. That's no small thing, considering the filing fee for each is $120, and often a person may have to file for multiple expungements to clear their records. So this is a great article right it's so good to see that our tax dollars are going back to doing the right thing and when we talk about expungement we have to remember that there are certain jobs that you can't get if you have a violation more importantly for the younger folks who are looking for certain like pell grants and federal subsidies to go to college if you have a charge you can't get those so expungement it can be very real to people moving their lives forward and a lot of these folks just got a charge like you and I could have got smoking outside of a bar or something like that. And their whole lives have been sidetracked because of it. And now at least they can get some of this economic benefit to clear it up. So I'm really excited to know that this stuff is going. Doesn't make me want to keep paying the taxes that they've levied against us, but at least some portion are going to the right thing. Uh, this is Guy Rocourt reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. This is a fantastic story, Guy. I love this. I love that this is happening. I personally 
um, also was, was expunged. And man, that was a fucking super crazy process to have to go through. But I'm so glad that I ultimately did get it done. Yeah, man. If you guys haven't done it already, start the process. It's different in every fucking state. And um, as Jason said, it's, it's a little bit more tedious than than, uh, than it should be. But um, programs like this need to be popping up everywhere else. Thanks for covering the story, Guy. 100%. And in California, just so for people understand kind of the process a little bit, um, you are going to start with your most serious crime, wherever county that was. And then go. you have to go by county by county, uh, lower charge to lower charge. Um, in order to get a full expungement. Yeah, and I, I guys, make sure you yep. get it done because you would hate go, for it to pop up in your life at the wrong time. But shouldn't they go backwards because there's already some automatic expungement? So the first thing, whenever we do our clinics, is that we look at the things that the state ha- are automatically saying they're going to expunge off your record. We go look for that first to make sure it is cleared off your record because as quiet as it's kept, the issue sometimes is not the fact that the expungement can happen. It's just the fact that it still hasn't, like it's still showing up on people's records. And so we start with the low hanging fruit first, get that cleared off and then progress up to the tougher ones that take more time. That's, that's the way we look at it. So I don't know if that's just uh, our process that works for us. Well, it's a little different from state to state. We covered a story with Felicia Carbajal, um, I think like about six, seven months ago, um, where all of these records that were supposed to be expunged were not. And they had like, like, like almost 10,000 more. Uh, they're, they're all saying. Yeah. On California, yeah, they were saying. So you have to. So we literally file a it's just a letter on behalf of the client saying based upon the current laws are in place and current statute and we and we identify the statute and we say this person would have qualified however it still remained on their record and we do that on their behalf and then we go from there if they have more charges but i will tell you this a lot of times during these expungement you guys would think that like it's easy to get people's records expunged it's difficult because a lot of times they have other different charges and you know we have people like hey do you get rid of cocaine charge i got method you know, meth charge or what have you. And I know for, for our organization, we really focus just on the cannabis-related charges. And so, um, and then sometimes there's, um, you know, violent charges that are uh, other different charges that are, are that are associated. So it, it's really difficult to unwind it all when you go through the process. Agreed. And, and, and just, one, just one more thing here, uh, here in uh, California, like a lot of it was done on paper. doesn't even matter if it was 2015 when some of this stuff was done. It was on paper. So they had to like physically go in the archives and find some of these files. It's absolute utter bullshit. Yeah, that's and, and Ron's exactly to that point is the reason why, why, why we in California, they start at the most serious crime and then work your way down. Because ultimately, if you have more crimes on your record and you're expunging yourself, it doesn't make any sense to keep some crimes on and get expunged for some others. No, it makes sense to get as much as you can get off, but I understand where you're coming from. But listen, the, the difficult ones could take anywhere from six months to nine months to a year to two years. But if honestly, you have to think about this also, you're dealing with people and there's follow through. So if you deal with people and if you can show them, listen, we got this off, hang in there, don't give up. So it's a matter of not only just in regards to how you're trying to, to organize it, but you're dealing with people. And people sometimes get frustrated. They think it's bullshit, the system. And so if you're able to make small progresses and show them that you're making it, they're going to be more apt to hang in there and to be able to follow through on their side. Because there's, there's things they have to do on their side as well and follow up. And that's one of the, the issues that we have is with compliance. 
in the follow-up piece that we can't do everything, that we also, it is a working together type of relationship. What about cases like mine where the cops uh, planted ketamine and I got a charge for ketamine? Would I, I, would I be able to get that expunged as well? Well, yeah. Well, first, the first thing is that the fact that, you know, your, your claim is that someone planted, that's, that's the issue by itself when that was not yours or that, and you got charged with something that you didn't do. So that's something from a, from a, I'm not an attorney. So let me first say that, but that's something that we would have our attorneys look at in regards to just, um, you know, just the charge itself. Um, but if there's ways to go back and fight that charge and be able to look at, you know, all the evidence and find out that you you should not have been charged with that, um, that, that's what the attorneys do. And these people give their time, sometimes pro bono, sometimes at a discounted rate. Um, and so the money that's needed is definitely needed. And, you know, and Susan and Jason, you guys are motivated. You guys are like strong. You guys are like not going to fight the bullshit. And I'm just, all I'm saying is that we have some people in our community, specifically the black and brown community, black folks that are just, they're so pissed off and tired and feel like the system is against them that they don't go and see this through the, the whole entire process. And that's, and I just want to share with you guys the reality of when you talk about expungement, it's not just like a cakewalk. So I'm done. Yeah, you, if you want progress, you have to go through the process. All right, we got to keep it moving. Thank you so much. And for the, the, the best, for the best thing, the best thing people can do with that situation, I feel, Roz, is to just totally remove themselves from the situation. Let the professionals handle it, get it done. Just let me know when I need to sign. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thank, thank you, thank you for your comments, uh, Jason, Roz, and I thank you for that story, uh, Guy. Definitely something that we need to push and keep on pushing and working on uh, refining that process going forward with our legislators. All right, so up next. Our next correspondent works tirelessly to expand safe access, protect religious freedoms, and promote social justice in cannabis, psychedelic, and tax laws. That's right. This master of divinity and lawyer stays behind the scenes doing the work of unsung heroes. And no matter how dark things get around her, she's always lit, man. Victoria Lippman, good to have you back with us. What you got for us for the news today? Thanks for that uh, intro, Rico. I got to add that tax lawyer piece now that I graduated with my tax LLM. I'm happy to be back. Comes from one of my least favorite states, Connecticut. The story is from a source called Connecticut News Junkie, and the headline reads, hemp farmers excluded from cannabis business. As the headline says, the story explains the reality of adult use cannabis legalization for the nearly 50 hemp farmers in Connecticut. As I'm sure our listeners know, hemp was removed from the Federal Controlled Substances Act as part of the 2018 Farm Bill and defined as cannabis with a THC content of 0.3% or, or, or less, excuse me. The 2021 Connecticut legislation, which legalized what's called marijuana, the THC content more than 0.3%, said that products sold in Connecticut's 18 dispensaries could only be from the four medical marijuana approved growers in the state, um, and those growers will be able to transition into the rec business. It left us out completely, a hemp farmer Michael Goodenough said last week during a tour of his farm. Goodenough helps extract and package everything from CBD oils to creams for about 44 of the 48 hemp farms in Connecticut. He uses the cold extraction method and rotary evaporation to separate terpenes from cannabinoids and CBD from THC. We know how to store and extract should there be a, a shortage, good enough said. He said since the products can't be shipped over state lines due to federal law, there has to be enough product grown in the state to support a recreational marketplace. The Department of Consumer Protection is in the process of determining in Connecticut who will get the license to grow cannabis and believes that there will be enough of the people they license to satisfy the demand. But good enough isn't so sure. The people who can do it and do it tomorrow are our hemp farmers, he said. 
The State Department of Agriculture says it supports efforts to include hemp farmers, but at the moment, under Connecticut's existing hemp program, which is a USDA-approved state plan, a licensee cannot simultaneously hold a hemp and a cannabis license. The department did advocate in favor of the working group in the Public Act 22103, which is taxed with assessing how to best support the hemp industry as recreational cannabis becomes legal here in Connecticut, the Department of Agriculture said in a statement. The department supports recreational cannabis businesses, including Connecticut hemp products for sale at their locations. Senator Christine Cohen, who co-chairs the Environment Committee, also said she's supportive of allowing hemp farmers to expand into the legal market. We passed the working group and I would like to see them be able to grow, she said. It makes perfect sense as they already are cultivating the plant species and it supports our agricultural heritage in the state. So that's the story. And even though I really hate Connecticut because it has the worst traffic ever, I was happy to see this story to have an opportunity to talk about something that's been on my mind. The future of cannabis should not, and if this article and other recent news is any indication, will not maintain the arbitrary hemp cannabis distinction. Not only is the 0.3% number completely arbitrary and literally differs globally, but it makes no sense from a regulatory perspective to single out one cannabinoid whose concentration can majorly shift during cultivation and processing. In the last few weeks alone, there was a bill sent to be signed by the governor in Minnesota, which will allow for hemp-based consumables, including those with both THC and CBD, to be sold in grocery stores and convenience stores. The Ninth Circuit Court recently held that Delta 8 products derived from hemp are federally legal. According to my headline, Connecticut may end up needing hemp farmers to supply their limited licensing model uh, with quality products to consume. In the future, why would someone want to comply with burdensome marijuana applications and regulations when instead they could more easily sell hemp-derived THC products? I know there is major beef between hemp and marijuana, but I really think we all need to band together and advocate for regulation of all cannabis uniformly. Cannabis that will be processed and consumed in food or drink should be regulated the same way, whether it comes from hemp or marijuana. Cannabis that will be used as a material should be regulated as such, regardless of the source. I'm starting to think that approaching all cannabis through a farm bill model lens, plus advocating for cannabis plants of all types to be deemed generally recognized as safe, so they can be in dietary supplements and food additives and sold as flour without oversight by the FDA might be a better strategy than this legalize and strictly regulate model for marijuana as separate from hemp. The states are already starting to blend marijuana and hemp. Maybe it's time we start thinking about it at the federal level too. So these are just my thoughts after a few weeks off and some time recovering from finishing school forever. I would love to hear from my fellow correspondents or audience members. Do we think there's a future where the entire cannabis industry, both hemp and marijuana can be united? Does it make sense to you to regulate on use, you know, like if you're going to eat it or smoke it, as opposed to the THC content? I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'm Victoria Lippman with the State of Cannabis News Hour. I think the hemp industry's cause is good enough to band with ours. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hemp is, it's, it's fortunate that you have, um, in, in the state of Florida, you can't have um, hemp-derived products in dispensaries as well. And I think it's just unfortunate that you're having this kind of, um, um, you know, uh, they're fighting against each other where I think they should be able to be um, available retail-wise in one setting because um, it's all about the, the plant and the medicine and the education. And some people may not want a whole THC-derived product and want to have another option and having to go find it elsewhere just makes no sense. I appreciate I that. Thought, is, Roz, isn't that why they came out with Delta 8? Yeah, well, listen, and we won't even have a conversation about Delta 8. If we can have true hemp-derived, 
products that are rich in different cannabinoids as an option in a dispensary so that if I go in and I go in and buy something for myself with my medical marijuana card or as an adult use, but my mom wants something and I don't have to go to another retailer to find it, but she doesn't want anything with THC. She just wants the cannabinoids in there, you know, um, the the other great ones. I just think it should be an option. And um, I think sometimes lawmakers get involved and don't know that this all stems from the same plant and that we are fighting. We're, we're causing two industries to fight against each other, which is crazy. What, what about if, the, what if those products, um, if those, if those uh, cannabis compounds needed THC to actually activate for them to actually do their job? No, I mean, absolutely. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to discount the ability for compounds to work together. All I'm trying to do is, uh, you know, with Victoria, I think what she's trying to say, I think this is where you were coming from, Victoria, is just being able to have options and not close and shut the door down, not only from an economic standpoint, and especially because I fight for the underrepresented farmers, who the, the reason why we don't see our hemp industry taking off, especially on the product side and also on the industrial side, is we don't have enough consumers that are asking for it. They're knowledgeable. And I just think that why, why try to cut, why not blend together versus trying to, you know, um, make both or, uh, you know, make them sold separately in separate locations and almost as if they're not related. Regulate THC like CBD, please. Any other drug that is trying to approach the industry should look at the cannabis approach as as the failure that they should avoid. I mean, psilocybin is on the right track to go directly to the pharmaceutical industry and follow those pathways, because if they have to go from county to county to get you know medical authorization and then recreational authorization and then hope for legal legalization at the federal level, this is just a disaster. It's it, the, the way that cannabis uh, legalization has rolled out in the U.S. I'll just say I appreciate all that. I think Susan was the point I was making was what Susan said. Regulate, you know, THC like CBD to put it simply. But I also agree you should be able to get hemp products in dispensary, Ross. I just think like all of it should be less burdensome, less regulated and more easily accessible because that's how we get people access to this healing plant. I mean, really, you should be able to get a healing plant where you get all of your healing stuff at CVS. In grandma's garden. Yes. And in the garden. That's never going to happen. You're never going to get that shit at CVS. Cut that shit out of the equation. Well, let's keep smoking the news. I, I don't know about that. You're going to get hemp-derived, TH. I mean, that was that. Anyways, we'll talk more about it when it happens. Coming up next, this beard was born and bred in Michigan. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence, because baby, it's cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California, where the beard received a lot of grief. Known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores, this intellectual IP attorney and CEO of Fruit Slabs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do you got for us today? Thanks so much for having me today. My headline comes from CNN Business. It's how this 154-year-old company became one of the biggest players in cannabis. And this article took a deeper look at the publicly traded company, Scott's miracle Grow and its cannabis-focused subsidiary, Hawthorne Gardening Company, and their moves to become a player in the growing cannabis industry. Over the past decade, Scott's, via Hawthorne Gardening Company, has acquired big players in hydroponics, lighting, and other supplies used for cannabis cultivation, and recently they've even begun edging their way closer to actually touching the plant. Along the way, the company has funneled money into not only investments, but lobbying efforts too. 
Chris Hagedorn, executive vice president of Scotts and the division president of Hawthorne said, quote, it's our belief, and this is not a grand revelation by any stretch, federal legalization is obviously going to happen. The question is when and how. When it does, what are the most valuable assets going to be in a post-legalization world? Think anybody who thinks about it for a while says consumer-facing brands that make and sell cannabis products will be the most valuable. In 2011, Hagedorn's father and then CEO of Scott's told the Wall Street Journal he saw a lot of potential in cannabis agriculture, proclaiming that he wanted to, quote, target the potential market, and the company thereafter made significant investments in acquiring metaphorical picks and shovels. They started with a $4.5 million gamble on AeroGrow, a struggling indoor gardening products company, and several years later in 2014, Scott's formed their Hawthorne division and invested nearly a half a billion dollars to acquire General Hydroponics, Gavita, and nutrient maker Botanicare, respectively leaders in hydroponics supply, lighting, and nutrients. And in 2021, Hawthorne comprised nearly 30% of Scott Miracle Grow's overall sales for a total of roughly 1.4 billion, which was a larger portion of the company's total revenue than any year prior to it. The cannabis boom cycle that Hawthorne enjoyed for about a decade was not going to last forever. And supply chain challenges, inflation pressures, shifting spending habits of consumers significantly impacted the business's bottom line in 2022. And in the second quarter of this fiscal year, they saw a sales drop of 44% of the Hawthorne sales. Scott's overall declined only 8%. The drop is clearly a product of a confluence of forces hitting the cannabis industry, and in particular, some key markets for cultivation. Chris Hagedorn said, quote, the current slowdown is really the result of a perfect storm that is hitting growers hard. There's oversupply in key markets such as California and Oklahoma, and inflation is causing increases in the cost of raw materials and services. We expect the industry to bounce back as these key markets work through the excess supply and as new markets come online in the Northeast over the next 12 to 18 months. Hawthorne and Scotts are betting big on the Northeast, both politically and with their dollars. In New York, a New York dis based dispensary recently reached an agreement to be acquired by Riv Capital for $247 million. Riv is partially bankrolled by the Hawthorne Collective, a different Scott subsidiary, and it's headed by Mark Sims, a Scott's executive. Scott's also contributed just under a million dollars for pro-legalization committees in New Jersey. Uh, and they've also engaged in many other lobbying efforts around the country, including lobbying for uh, preferential treatment for LED lighting and other energy efficient cultivation solutions. Uh, and they, they engage in lobbying efforts everywhere. Uh, that said, until there is federal legalization, Hawthorne's investments in RIV and elsewhere cannot directly fund plant touching businesses. They could be used for general corporate and other lawful purposes. And overall, the company is clearly investing in the cannabis market and has a long-term view to the cannabis market and will continue to expand its footprint in the industry. In the words of their cannabis-focused leader, Chris Hagedorn, he said, quote, I hope we'll be, we will be amongst the leaders in the cannabis industry. If not, I will be disappointed in myself. Uh, I would certainly pay close attention to what they are doing and where they are making their investments because they have a lot of money to throw around and they have a, actually a considerable amount of cannabis expertise under their roof. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Follow the money. Okay, so I got to chime in on this one. So I will say this, Hawthorne, in regards to listening to some of our advocates, our, our needs on the advocacy side, 
be it if they're trying to do it to uplift their brand, to come into the marketplace, they have been one of the most flexible and easy to work with um, companies that have supported the advocacy work that I've worked with in the last six years. So shout out to them for that. Follow the money. And I will say, I know, I know Jim and Chris uh, very well and from, from at events in DC and they definitely do write checks when it comes to what policy decisions are made. Yeah. You know, and I think it's more than right. I mean, I, well, you know what? And if you have the ability to write checks, I think that the, the one thing about cannabis that I love from an industry perspective is that it's holding folks accountable. Like you can't just be rich. You can't just be, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, of non-color, of white, whoever, whatever persuasion you are and think you can use your your um, your prestige and use your um, your Rolodex to just go and wreak havoc over the industry and not be able to give back in some type of way. And we've never seen an industry that has this social component like um, a social impact component like cannabis. We don't see it in banking. We don't see it in, you know, in, in, in real estate. We don't see it in, in you know, um, in the, in the uh, tech world. Um, and this is the, the promise of this industry that really makes me smile. And so if they use their funds in order to do some good things for people and that helps them to leverage and get more opportunities, then, you know, um, God bless them. I mean, at the, at, at the end of the day, this is capitalism. And um, two things matter, like I said earlier, money and real estate. So know the game that you know the game that you are playing. And um, if you don't have money, you're not going to exist. I'm gonna keep it at that. Amen. Uh, well, we don't have time for another headline. I just wanted to uh, shout this article out so that you guys can read it. It's really good. It's in high times. And the headline is Stop Complaining About the Price of Weed. It's by Dante Jordan. It's an honest conversation about how low-priced, terribly grown industrial weed is affecting the industry as a whole and why it's important for consumers to maintain high standards for the cannabis we consider acceptable regardless of what we have to pay for it. Please, please, please do read that. Um, that was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure you catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day just to bring us what we just need to know. Big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Jaja Simone Brown. Thank you, audience, for being an important part of our show. You've had your daily dose, so now go get him. Go get him. Thank you, President Biden. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Happy hump day. Burn it all down. Hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, 
water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it today. With the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.